do you even want an art style? Do you even want to develop your own artistic vision? Many people ask me, they come up at conventions and talk to me and ask me, how do I get my style? How did I get my particular style? I have somewhat of a unique art style that I guess I could call my own. People are often asking me how this happens. But again, what I want to talk about on this particular episode is that it's not always clean sailing having your own artistic style. And it's worthwhile thinking this through as the way you master this particular issue is going to drastically change your happiness and a lot of your potential success from a career perspective. What I'm going to do is unpack this and look at some of the advantages and disadvantages of style as a career business issue. Now, this might be a little bit different to how we express ourselves, you know, perfectly on the creative level. I've talked about that before, however. Here, really, what I want to talk about is how this interacts with business, with getting jobs and careers, and whether or not it's a good idea to even bother having a style. Welcome to the Visual Scholar Podcast. My name is Tim McBurney. I have been a professional working artist for over 20 years. And on this show, we're all about demystifying the worlds of art, creativity, and productivity so that you can get better faster and enjoy your artistic journey. All right. So shots fired, I guess. Do you even want a style? I'm guessing, look, if you're listening to this, yes, you do want a style. I obviously wanted a style. I developed a style. I put a lot of effort into it. I guess the question is like, you know, what are the challenges that come with that? And I want to look at this probably in opposition, like everyone kind of has a style. I do want to unpack this idea, but obviously there are many options as an artist to kind of just fit into what everyone else is doing to kind of go with the flow. If you imagine, this is how I sort of visualize it. I mean, today you could kind of see it as, you know, there is kind of a house style that often pervades video games and entertainment design. You know, it's often sort of painted. It's very, you know, colorful, bright, shiny. You know, it, it, it's very sort of, you know, aggressive on the eyes. Um, there's a lot of things that people just sort of tend to do now, and it's, it's somewhat homogenous. Um, obviously, people have their own specific ways they deal with that, but it's hard to see it when you're in it. If you look at artists today, we kind of all think that the things that people are doing are kind of cool, right? And often the sort of accolades that they get for doing it mean that we see them as being very unique. But, you know, if you kind of flip it on its head and look at, you know, a lot of the art that was created in the 1950s where, you know, had this sort of golden age of commercial illustration, people were, um, you know, drawing, you know, look, magazine ads for soap, right? Magazine ads for, um, you know, sort of cough syrup, right? You know, spoons, plates, everything. Everything needed to be advertised and you had to be drawn because that's how things worked, right? That's the only way that it worked. And if you look at uh, like Andrew Loomis, who I'm a big fan of, you know, his art books, you know, creative illustration, figure drawing for all it's worth. You know, a lot of that advice he's giving is giving it to artists so that they can get jobs in a very sort of common illustrative field. And, what you kind of notice is like there were so many good artists back then just drawing commercials for soap and, you know, like, um, you know, all this kind of boring stuff, uh, you know, like sheets and uh, cars and everything, like it, just a whole bunch of mundane nonsense for breakfast cereal, for cans of soup, you know, just drawing stuff, right? I remember, you know, when I was a little bit, uh, you know, younger and, you know, I, I was studying illustration at a local design school. They had an illustrator who, you know, a big part of his job was in a hardware 
um, catalog where, you know, every month they kind of put out, hey, here's all the bits of uh, drills and screwdrivers and stuff you can buy. You know, a big part of what illustrators get paid to do is like do a little line drawing in, you know, pen and ink of the drill, right? So you had your kind of, you know, your Makita drill or whatever drill it is, and they all look different. And, you know, artists had to literally draw that so it would be reproduced in this old way. And it's like, there's no reason. It was just that was a stylistic affectation of the time. And they kind of were a bit small. It might be hard back in the day to print on really crummy paper, even in, you know, the 90s and the 2000s, even today, like, right? be hard to really print that nicely. But, um, you know, so they use this old school style, but that's how everything was done. Every ad, everything. I remember even when I was like, you know, when I was younger, every, every ad for a house had a drawing, right? In the, in the newspaper, you know, all the houses that are going for sale or rent, probably only ones that are going for sale, you know, they actually have a pen and ink black and white drawing of it. You know, now it's all color. It's all on like, you know, real estate apps and stuff like that. So, Anyway, look, I digress. The point is that in the 50s, back in those days, there were so many good artists, so many good artists, so many people making probably very healthy incomes. But they were all kind of drawing the same thing. They're just drawing soap and baked beans and tomato sauce and plates and, you know, uh, you know who knows, right? Um, all this kind of mundane, boring stuff. You don't really remember any of them. In fact, you probably couldn't pull them out of a lineup, right? You you can see so much technical ability, so much skill from back in those days. All the people who were, you know, taking the Andrew Loomis, you know, lessons and doing those things, learning from these great illustrators, it's all just kind of one homogenous blob of like 50s housewives making weird things out of jelly and, you know, again, these... Really, I don't know why this is what I'm imagining, right? But again, looking at those uh, magazines from the 50s, that's kind of what I imagine, right? It's a lot of sort of Women's Weekly and these kind of old magazines. Um, it's obviously a lot of cool stuff, right? A lot of like, you know, comic books and pulp fiction that was created in the day. But you just can't tell who these people are because they were just working this generic 50s style and it's completely forgettable. No one knows who they are. You remember a few of them, right? You remember, you know, again, from that age, you're, you remember your, your, your Leyendeckers, your... Um, you know, your, your sort of top flight illustrators. We don't remember everyone though, because they were just kind of doing stuff that would fit in. And I think there's an element to art like that now where people can kind of just create artwork that kind of fits in that's generically applicable. And to the degree personally, what I can say is like having a style and trying to work in those industries can be a bit hard, right? Because you have ways you make things look and they kind of just want like this sort of generic style. It's kind of means that everyone, you know, 10 people can work on an illustration project for trading cards or whatever it is. And all the art kind of looks the same. That's kind of the goal. And I guess my worry is like, A, it's often a lot easier for people to do that. But B, you're kind of just fitting in with the crowd and you're sort of replaceable. You're kind of commoditized and... I guess we can take the idea of unique, maverick, you know, illustrator, your, your Jean Giraud, your Mobiuses, right? Your, your Miyazaki's, these, uh, you know, people with, um, you know, very distinct styles, right? Um, that are recognizable. And you can compare that to people who just are kind of fitting in, right? Drawing stuff where like you, you would never know who they were, um, but they are, you know, often employed, often employable, really important to the artistic industry. It's just a matter of like, which road are you going to take? And, you know, how does that affect 
your ability to get a job, maintain a job, build a career. So let's first break down this idea into a couple of elements of style. I think firstly, that's what I really want to do to try and understand this a bit better. So I think the first thing is to think about the personality aspect of style. Certainly there's, you know, ways that people can kind of have a unique way that they might make marks. And even if you're all trying to work on the same card game, the same homogenous art, there's going to be slight variations, right? I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about the larger elements of style. This is where you're fitting into a technical style or a genre of art. You know, the idea of like my stuff looks like superhero comics or like, you know, video game concept art or um, again, you know, it still looks like a children's book illustration, um, you know, uh, whatever it is, right? There's, there's a real wide sort of higher level that I'm really talking about. And often people are sitting there thinking as students, I don't know which bucket I fit into. I don't know where I fit here. Um, and then the second element of style is like, okay, you have like a, you have these two things, your personality, kind of the, the general look of what you're doing, but then there's like, how do you fit into a particular job? Because I think obviously you have people who are interested in, you know, 1950s illustration and they're working today and, you know, they're a fan of, uh, you know, all your sort of famous old school painters, right? Your golden age of illustration, um, you know, your Renaissance painters, um, you know, all of these things. And, and yet they're doing video game concept art. And their art kind of is functional and fits into the video game illustration world. And they're able to kind of do that. But the way the job influences the way their art looks is quite significant. So it would be different taking that core set of like influences and things they're interested in and applying it to like a purely illustration job versus a purely concept art job before, uh, for instance. There's a way that doing the thing that you do that makes the money will actually affect the way things look just in a million subtle ways. You're forced day in, day out to make particular decisions. And there's often a utility to art that changes the way it looks. This is one of the things I'm kind of talking about. Um, and I guess the last thing is where, you know, you really are leaning into a style and you're trying to say something unique about the world, right? To the point where you look at the art and you're like, wow, that looks different. I don't, you know, I, I like this is not something I'm seeing elsewhere. Um, you know, this would be, again, you're sort of maverick artist, you, you, you're a person who is really seeing something unique and to the point where, you know, they, they probably don't fit in anywhere. You know, they, they're not capable of, you know, of working anywhere else because, you know, it's oh, they're only doing that one thing. They're basically like a capital A artist who has like a commercial bent. Um, and again, there's lots of people who do all these things. So again, there's some different elements of style. And really what I'm talking about is all of them, all of them together, having like a very unique style um, as like, uh, you know, something we can consider as an option. Now, I think I'm really talking abstractly here, but again, comparing that extreme to like, I'm just having a very generic style that kind of, I can be employed at a hundred different places at, if I get fired from this studio or this job, I can just go work here and, you know, I'll be able to fit in because I'm good at fitting in. I'm good at sublimating my own personality and matching exactly the style that's required of me. I have a generic set of artistic skills. Um, now you find some people are actually look, you know, really good at doing both, right? But it's so rare. And I think it takes a massively long career to get really good at that. And you always run the risk of like never being quite good at either of them. Um, and typically what you'll find is you're going to follow the money in either case, um, just from a practical standpoint. So anyway, that's what I mean when I say style. 
So the first thing to consider that kind of really sort of sucks about developing your own style and your own unique way of saying things is it takes a long time. It takes a huge amount of time to just build a style and figure out what you're going to do. Now, you know, for me, this kind of took a long time. You really need to find like a medium that you like working in. You need to find a style that fits that medium, whether you, you know, use particular tools, the digital, traditional, um, the process that you use here. And I think this is, you know, really important because essentially like the process that you use is going to define the style. It's going to define the look of the things that you create. And the more you kind of, you know, experiment and find out all these little bits and pieces, the better you're going to be able to find your own style, right? So the reason I think it really sucks and it's sort of worth considering like not doing this is that to really find your unique style and sift through all the different things, all the different reasons you might be creating art, it just takes a long time. And, you know, this can be very frustrating to artists. I think it can be a lot more because often you fail, you really try and say something unique and you're trying to say something new and you fail. You fail many, many times until you really find that balance of here's me and here's, you know, me working within a medium. I'm expressing the things I want. It kind of functions. And then again, it's able to be sort of reproduced and it kind of works in whatever medium I'm working in. Right. Um, you know, and it took me personally, it took me, you know, probably like seven or eight years of, you know, being pretty serious about like, I want to do art as a career until I got my first comic book job. And I really was forced to figure this out and forced to develop a style that kind of worked for the particular, um, you know, things that I was doing. And, and still after that, I just messed around eight for ages and ages and ages with this concept of style, trying different things, trying to combine the different ideas that I liked. You know, for instance, I like the clarity and I like working and drawing in line. The process of creating art I like the line and color style. Some people hate the line and color style because you don't really know what it's going to look like until the end. So a lot of people like building up an image. And this is where your personality is so much at play here. They like building up an image with painting. And there's an only one way you can really do that. You can't do this with the line and color style where you start with vague shapes. You start with the mood and then you build detail, build secondary form. Finally, you build tertiary form you know and the, the painting sort of emerges and you see it emerge slowly 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 until it's finished line and color style is not like that what we do is if you're lucky and you've got time you kind of create a rough sketch of what it will look like that might have some color but still it's a very vague sketchy version of it and then what you do is you create a construction drawing a detailed rough version of this drawing that is just a complete mess. And this looks nothing like a finished drawing. It's got lines everywhere, sketches everywhere. I can't tell what my finished thing's gonna look like. And then you do finished lines. And the finished lines sort of inherently, if you don't have a lot of color in them, should look a bit empty. And that's not how the image looks. It's only when you actually put the color in there and then you get, get all the colors right, suddenly all of these things come together. So there's kind of this magic point with that particular style and process where you kind of plan and you plan and you get a surprise at the end. You don't get a surprise with painting in the same way where like all of a sudden it's like, bam, oh, it worked, right? It's kind of fun because you get to sort of experience it at the end a little bit like a viewer would, right? Where it kind of comes together and there's, a, there's an apprehension about that. Anyway, like it's often these things that we're finding and we're discovering as we deal with style. Like how do you like working? 
Do you like starting vague? Do you like starting specific? Do you like starting with structure? Do you like starting with mood? Do you like starting with color? What do you like? At what point do you really figure out what the composition looks like? To a certain degree with line and color, I, I can affect the composition right at the end. I can change the colors. I can play with the colors very easily. It's a lot harder to do that with some other styles. So there were these things I'd be wanting to mix in. I like this way of working, but I like paint. I like the lost edges you get with a painting. It took me a long time to kind of figure out styles where I could combine with layers, atmosphere into a line of color drawing. You can only do it digitally. It's very hard to do um, quickly and effectively with uh, traditional media but digitally I can blend these kind of feelings of like it looks painted it also looks a bit like anime right and there's these specific things where I'm like I like both things I, I, you know the rabbit hole is deep when it comes to style you can go on and on and on and on and that's kind of the fun of it but meanwhile I'm kind of creating this mess of stuff none of it's really there none of it's really good none of it's really working and uh, it takes a long time before you know, people are like, oh, I get what you're doing. Because <laughs> until then, half the people are thinking, you're just making a whole bunch of mistakes. Here's where you're making the mistakes. And I'm like, no, no, that's not where I'm making mistakes. I'm making mistakes here. This is what I got. That That's going to stay. This is where I'm going to change it. Um, you know, a lot of people will be like, you just need to add more rendering. I'm like, no, no, I don't need more rendering. I need better composition because I'm not going to have rendering in the final thing. They're like, just add rendering. It's like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Um, it's hard to figure out what you're doing, have confidence to get there, make sure you pick something that looks how you want and also is something where you create it in the way that you want. And then like, does it even do the things that you want to do with your career? Again, you know, line and color is good for comics, good kind of for illustration, not good for commercial illustration from my experience, um, kind of good for concept art, not good for all concept art. Again, there's things that are very complicated here when it comes to figuring out how long you know this is going to take and typically it just takes a long time to really try and figure this out for yourself and, and, and get something you're really actually kind of happy with but the upside of that is you learn a lot about yourself you really find out who you are and you understand all these concepts I often say you're much less likely to have a midlife crisis artistically where you kind of realize that I'm making the art I want but I'm not doing it in the way I want that's a big problem right? Um, oh, I found the art that I want, except it doesn't allow me to do the job I want. That's a big problem. Um, you know, or I've just been toiling away for 20 years drawing generic art and I really have never found myself artistically and I always thought I would, but it didn't happen. Now it's really hard for me to unlearn all those other ways and really figure out who I want to be. Who knows, right? Um, you do the hard work in the beginning and it does mean you understand yourself artistically and you're able to express yourself in a really sort of good way. So maybe you're not as applicable on a generic level. Um, it's a lot harder to get people to understand what you're doing. But ultimately, I think you learn a lot more about yourself and you're able to create art that's more personal and, you know, says something about who you are. All right. Secondly, the second reason I think it kind of sucks to, to have your own style is that it can also take a long time and it can just be hard in general to commercialize it, to get people to pay you for it. Now, this should be sort of obvious because it's sort of linked to what we were talking about. But I think, you know, it just can take a long time to get people to understand kind of what you're doing and to get people to hire you, right? To really sort of also hire you and let you actually use your own style. 
Um, people want reliability when they're hiring you. They want you to be able to do X, Y, Z thing. They want you to be able to do it well. And I think this could be one of the biggest challenges we face. Often, even when you are developing a style, it takes a long time. So you have many failures and things that maybe worked. Again, it looked good. I've had this happen. I kind of create some stuff. I'm like, oh, that kind of looks good. It's not really what I want to do over here though because I want to use a slightly different... And people are like, yeah, we want you to do that thing. And it's like, oh, okay, you want me to not use the style that I want to use for this particular concept, right? Or the, the, the current evolution of my stylistic choice or, or what I really have figured out, this is really what I want to say. And it can be very hard for people to buy onto that. They want reliability. They tend to want, and this is general, people who are in business or are linked to a business hierarchy want things that are reliable, that kind of look mostly like other things that are out there that are successful. And this is where you tend to get this homogenization of style and art. Again, we want our card game to kind of look like this stuff because this is kind of popular-ish illustration. Can you all kind of hit this rough mark and sort of get this sort of thing happening? That would be great because then at least, you know, we can't blame, no one can get blamed if, you know, it doesn't work um, and it has some stylistic affectation. So, you know, I think this is fundamentally a big challenge when you are doing this as an artist is that people are much it's a lot harder for people to buy into a particular art style. The more unique it is also, the more potentially it's going to identify you as an artist, which is kind of what you're wanting on a business commercialization level, the harder it is to kind of just get general work. And especially in the middle, I think this is a big challenge, right? I found a huge amount of challenges with this. Um, and it's easy for the money side of it to kind of knock you off your journey if you're really pursuing this because you kind of get offered a good money opportunity a good job which again it's not saying it's just for money but you know it's something where you kind of can't pass it up but you know you struggle from a stylistic standpoint because it doesn't really allow you to do the things you really want to do and and so you kind of get this like oh well you know maybe if i just did this it would be easier if i just kind of fit it into this little game that's being played it would be a lot easier for me to succeed right um and i think this can be you know a big reason that people kind of get knocked around and then you kind of start doing something you forget kind of what you were doing stylistically given it takes so long um the other thing is it kind of takes ages for people to know you to remember your style and then to you know percolate with that and then to get into a position to hire you and then to remember you so you know someone will see your work um one year and they'll be like oh i really like that they'll see it again and they'll be like, oh, I really like that. That's you. So two years have passed and then, you know, a few more years passed, maybe it's four years passed and now that person is an art director and then they have a few more projects that can't use you, right? A few years pass and then suddenly, finally they're like, aha, I finally have the project that this person can work on um, except, you know, we're seven or eight years later. So, you know, literally that's what's happening. People are often seeing you and noticing you, but even if they're already art directors, they're not always going to hire you straight away. They're often going to wait years and years and years until the project that is going to fit you comes along. So it often there's a massive lead time where you have to get to the point where you have this style, you have to advertise it, shout it to the world, get it in as front of as many people as possible. And then you have to wait for people to kind of start to be like, ah, I'm going to connect the dots, right? and then connect you with a project they have. So, you know, it's very difficult in the beginning to just be like, I want work, right? I have this weird style. Um, it's a lot easier to fit in to existing styles and things that work. So again, that's just something that's worth considering. Um, you know, for instance, 
you know, I would often be doing comics and even, you know, very recently I've been doing comics and, you know, trying to pitch for different comics with, you know, sort of big publishers and things. And I've been turned down with it. You know, I had one year where I had like three or four different projects that really got very close, you know, sort of big, would have been fairly big deals for me. Um, and they all just fell apart based on style, I think, essentially, like, uh, you know, this is not really where we want to go. And it's tricky to know whether you should or whether I should in that case say yes, like, I'll just do it, right? I'll do whatever you want because I need the money, um, you know, and this would be a good opportunity or whether I should really, you know, try and do the thing that I want to do because I know that I'm like, once I do this, people will see how it works, right? But it's hard to see how it works in the beginning. So, you know, often I would sort of deal with these different issues and, you know, one of the main ways I kind of avoided this is I kind of worked in games where, you know, you doing concept art and things and it's kind of fun because I have to adapt to the project and every project's different so you know I'm not necessarily working in, in a generic style I'm, I'm having to change around a lot and there's often a lot of freedom with the specific stylistic affectations you use in games because it's really just about designing something that's going to be modeled in 3d anyway so as long as you can kind of do the design people don't really care how you do it to a certain degree um, although I obviously got hired to do stuff that, you know, is more stylized, more in that kind of like Overwatch, um, you know, sort of World of Warcraft, more sort of Blizzard stylized look, right? Now it would be the Fortnite look and that kind of stuff. That's typically where I sort of get hired. But even so, um, you know, that gave me a little bit of freedom. So there's obviously ways around this, but fundamentally, um, I think it can be a really big challenge to commercialize um, a heavily stylized look. And, uh, that's something that look really, really sucks. But on the other side of that, obviously, if you do get it going, you are kind of a market of one. You have a little blue ocean of opportunity because no one else has your style. And if you really get it working and everyone knows about it, then you have a much more reliable career going forward. And I think this is really where we start to deal with the sort of short-term versus long-term view of this whole thing. Um, but I think obviously in the long run, like for me now, a lot of people recognize my style and they kind of hire me for my style to a certain degree. So it's good when you sort of get to the other side of that. But, you know, even now, probably I'll, I'll still have, you know, a hundred more of these things where, you know, you try and do something and get down to it. And then people are like, oh, I want you to zig. And I'm like, no, I want to zag with the style. And, uh, you know, that's just a fundamental challenge that exists. The third thing here that I think is really important, again, before we try and put some of this together and do the takeaways, the, the third thing that I think is really critical to understand if you're pursuing a career, if you're pursuing a unique style, the thing that really sucks about it is that not everyone will like it. Not everyone's going to like it. Even if you get really good, almost like the, the better you get, right, the, the, the more the more you make it work, the more people are going to react towards it, right? Um, and that's just, just a reality is not everyone's going to like the things you do. Whereas if you have these sort of generic styles, kind of by definition, everyone is unoffended by your work. But the more we say something specific, the more we're specifically turning away a large portion of both, you know, your sort of end consumer, let's say people who might buy something that has that art on it, or has used that art to design it. And you're also throwing away, you know, the amount of art directors or people who are going to work with you. Now, I think you can hopefully see that the flip side of that is that there's probably going to be, hopefully, if you've done it right, people who really do like it. And you can see that with, you know, something, if you look at a, a meta sort of analysis of that, 
if you look at like the video game industry, like every kind of AAA game that's like really good from a technical level that's had hundreds of millions of dollars poured into it kind of has to have a very similar style, has to have a very similar look. And typically, sometimes people will be able to break out, right? Um, you know, like a Dark Souls game, Bloodborne, has like a very unique look. Um, but mostly when people are trying to develop these things, they're safe. And they're often safe to their detriment, right? They don't work that well because they're very homogenous. But this is typically what happens with these projects where people just kind of copy whatever's going. Um, oh, like World of Warcraft's selling really well. Let's just all use that thing. Um, Fortnite's selling really well. Let's make everything look like Fortnite. Uh, whatever it is. Um, and, and people tend to follow patterns and follow these uh, sort of, you know, ideas, right? Because they're imagining we want everyone to like us. Whereas you compare that to indie games where you get a lot of really interesting styles, really interesting things that are possible because they don't have the expectation that millions and millions and millions and millions of people have to buy it. Otherwise, it's a commercial failure right? The amount of people that have to buy the next Call of Duty in order for it to just sort of, you know, hobble along and be, um, get to the next Call of Duty is absurd. Versus, you know, if you have like a two or three man team, three, um, you know, two or three people working on a particular project, then, um, you know, you can kind of do whatever you want because you don't need that many people to buy it. So it's the same with your art style. If you, you know, don't need as many people to like it, you can do more unique things. It's very problematic because it means that less people are going to like it, but it means that all the people who do really like it are going to really like it. And there's something very valuable about that that you can't get from just doing sort of generic work, right? Um, you know, and, and this is like where it's so tricky to kind of get that balance right with your own career and what you sort of think. Um, you know, I think what you find is the more you develop a style that's unique to you, the more you're actually saying what you think about the world, the more people who like it like what you say about the world, the more they like the kind of art you like, the more you're surrounded by people and interacting with people who you actually enjoy. Um, you know, one of the interesting things, there's two interesting little sort of anecdotes here that I think are interesting. I don't, don't know necessarily whether there's like a, a strong endpoint or, or sort of like moral to the story, but, you know, for instance, I've drawn, like, I think I've mentioned this a few times uh, around uh, different sort of shows and videos that I've done. But, you know, I have did quite a few Capcom Teppan card game illustrations. This is like illustrations for the Teppan uh, sort of trading card game, which is a digital game. It was, I don't know whether it's still around. Again, I know very little about the game, except that it's a shared world game where there's a whole bunch of different cards from all the Capcom properties. Resident Evil, Street Fighter, Darkstalkers, Mega Man. Um, you know, a whole bunch of other things. Uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of Capcom games you never even heard of. Um, I did 30 cards for this thing um, and they were very mercenary. They weren't in my style. And I kind of did them because it allowed me to kind of learn to paint in this environment. And it, at the time, it really fit the, the freelance schedule that I had to do a few of these every month. So I ended up doing quite a few of them, you know, just drawing different Resident Evil characters, doing things, different monsters from Devil May Cry, Different things every month um, have to match the style exactly, you know, get it looking like all the other cards. Uh, it doesn't look anything like me. No one even knows I did this because I haven't put it in my folio because it doesn't really matter, you know, like it's it's not the kind of work that I really want to get more of, but I enjoyed doing it. And hopefully I think, you know, hopefully the cards stand up, but no one knows I even did that. <laughs> no one, like literally no one knows, unless you Google my name with Teppan, you're probably not going to find it, right? Unless you play that game, you have no clue. And if you look at them, some of them were done in very 
uh, very commercial manners, let's say. Um, you know, and, and that's just one of those things versus, you know, sort of if I do, if, if you look at my comic book work, people know that and they, they look at me and they appreciate the work that I've done. And, you know, I can go and do a signing somewhere and people are coming up to me and talking to me about why they like this book, why the style speaks to them. Right. Um, so again, that's so important to, to understand that, uh, you know, those are the two things you get. But you can run into a lot of trouble with this with what people like and don't like. For instance, one of the interesting things that often occurs to me is that I was inspired by French comics. Now, in the Western market, my style, which is influenced by French comics, by Jean Giraud, by Tintin, by Asterix, by the clean line French style, is very unique. When people imagine, oh, we need that kind of French look. Who does that? Oh, it's Tim McBurney. He works in the French comic book industry and he's Australian, so he probably speaks English. Let's hire him. I'm unique in that world. The problem is in the French comic book industry, I'm not unique because <laughs> it's full of people drawing French comics. So that's often the challenge is like I, I was really – I would often really have trouble standing out in the French comic book industry because I'm kind of trying to do a bunch of stuff that's very generic to that and I don't properly understand the visual lexicon that they use probably because I haven't lived and breathed it since I was born. So you often have interesting things about how different people will like different styles for different reasons. Um, but either way, the bottom line is it kind of sucks because, you know, you are limiting a lot of possibility the more unique your style is. But the obvious upside is you kind of meet people who really actually like the stuff you're doing and you work with directors and art directors and people who really appreciate what you're doing on projects that, again, have a very strong visual aesthetic that's linked to probably all the things that you love. All right. That has been a, a, a fairly sort of rambling, but I think hopefully, you know, I've, I've given you a, a few really key ideas here that I think hopefully will help you when it comes to making this decision. Although it's not necessarily for me, it's never been a decision. I've always wanted to do this, but, you know, maybe this is something you can factor into the way that you build your career and think about this. It, it is where, you know, I have done a lot of card illustrations, for instance, where I'm not using my style. There's ways around this if you really think about it. But these are things that I didn't really consider when I was just imagining, hey, I want to build a style, um, you know, when I was like 15 or something. It seemed obvious to me that I did, but it wasn't obvious how this would affect my career. Let's do a few takeaways to really think about how we can take away this information and use it. How can you actually apply this information to your career? If you look at an analytical takeaway, I'd say that the top line thing here is that really what we're talking about is a long-term versus short-term plan, long game versus short game. Now, what wisdom typically says is that you should play the long game. You should delay gratification because all of the business case and all of the, the other stuff that I've talked about, playing the long game is the sensible thing to do. It's why to a certain degree I have done this. But often our pocketbook, our responsibilities in life tell us to play the short game because that's often what we're doing. We need to pay the bills now. Um, and, you know, that's less about, oh, us figuring out this lofty kind of stylistic thing so that one day I'll be able to do this. It's more like you just need an illustration job today to pay the rent. Um, so this is a fundamental challenge, right? But I think you can really view it through that simple lens of like investing your time. Long game versus short game. Which one? Are you interested in? If you want a quick bro level version of this, I'd say yes, it's worth it, but expect opposition. It's not always clean, clear sailing. If you want some really practical advice of how you can sort of manage this, I'd say get good at curating your folio. Make sure that your folio and your forward facing, the things that everyone sees really 
does define what you think about your style and you know it sort of expresses your folio of style. You can have other folios of illustration or other jobs that you might do, but the more you want to get people to understand who you are so that they're going to recognize your style with your name, the better. Really think about that. That's the thing that's going to avoid the most confusion where people are saying, oh, you did this. I want you to do that. Um, and that's always a tension where if someone's like, hey, Tim McBurney, we want you to do this job. And I'm like, is it going to be something I want to do? Is it going to be something I want to do? Ah, oh, it's just some random thing. Like, why? Why are you, why are you getting me to do that? took a long time for those emails to be like, we want you to do exactly what you're normally doing in your style. And I think that's very much a matter of curating the things that are out there, curating your folio and having different maybe hidden folios for illustration. You can send people for outsourcing agencies and places where you might be able to utilize your skills, but just not in your particular style. The other thing that's important to do is make sure you are matching the actual style that you want to use to the industries that are going to respect and support that particular style. This is gonna change over time, but again, what you really find is the more that your style is actually utilized and has utility within a particular industry, again, comics, games, whatever, the way you can sort of match those things, the better you can do that, the better, right? If you're really loose and you just like doing a whole bunch of quick paintings, then maybe concept art is better. Again, if you like the line and color style, look, comic books is a really good solution. If you like doing hyper-detailed paintings, Maybe book cover illustration is a good idea. This stuff is obvious, but often people are a bit mismatched here. So this is well worth considering. Lastly, if we look and think about a philosophical spiritual takeaway, look, I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to have my own style. Maybe you have too, but not everyone's like this. Some people do just want a creative artistic job. They enjoy the challenge. They enjoy taking on different styles. Everyone's different. There's no right or wrong here. It's just a matter of understanding how your career will progress and the pluses and minuses that that will bring. Again, doing commercial illustration like those artists in the 50s can be a challenge because when that style goes out and there's no longer any utility for that, then maybe all those jobs disappear and it will only be the maverick artists who have developed a unique style that stay around because they still provide some value that's unique on top of just the basic utility of having illustration. Again, there's many wrinkles to the way this is going to play out and often we don't know the future. We don't know what is going to be valuable later on. But I think that it's really important to understand that when things are aligned with sort of you and you can get that flow of you doing what is actually required and useful with your job, I really think that, you know, this is how good art is made. Um, it's not by kind of, you know, thinking and worrying about style and, you know, um, you know, like, am I, you know, doing the right thing or, you know, like worrying about how you kind of fit in. It's often really when you do align all of those things that you're going to be able to create good art when you're working in the style that you want and other people are needing you for a particular project that needs that style and it fits the particular medium and it works and it has the right kind of, you know, exposure and all of those things are kind of working. I feel like that's when you get the good opportunity to actually create good work. When you're thinking not about the style, not about, you know, how you're doing it or where you fit in, but you're really just thinking about and you can put your whole energy into making the thing the image, the game, the illustration, whatever it is, you're trying to make that thing as good as possible and you're not trying to fit in or not fit in or worry about the style. There's a power that comes with people having all of that stuff aligned where they can focus on the actual story, the actual thing they're making and they put all their energy into that. I think that is how great art is made. All right. 
that's all we have time for in this particular episode. Let me know if you've got any thoughts or comments down below if you're watching on YouTube or send me an email, tim at thedrawingcodex.com if you're listening on a podcast. Other than that, we will uh, catch you around on the next one.